happy place. One, two, three, four, five. And count to five, it's pretty good to be alive. That it's great to be alive. When you play in records with John. Hello, all you lucky listeners out there in Earbud Land, and welcome to another exciting episode of Playing Records with John. I'm your host. John. And my guest this time, once again, is uh, my friend, podcaster, and musician, Jordan Cooper. Probably wants to be thought of as a musician, a podcaster, and then my friend, somewhere down the list. But either way, I know the guy. Now, Jordan releases music under the band name Troubles Afoot, and he has an album that you can find out there everywhere you look for music called Looking for Parking, which was recorded with uh, Christopher Roberts on drums and Dave Fox on bass. And the aforementioned podcast is Don't Let's Start, a podcast about They Might Be Giants, which is one of the most deeply researched and deeply engrossing podcasts out there. Now, that show is co-hosted by bass player Dave Fox of the band Troubles Afoot that I was just talking about. So it's, it's all connected. What's going on over there with Jordan and Dave? Anyway, this is part two of my conversation with Jordan. If you want to hear part one, which I recommend, go back. It's the one right before this in the feed. Uh, we talk about Jordan's early days, and I mean early, early, like nine years old early, uh, through his development as a songwriter to the point where he was writing the songs that would eventually become his debut albums. And yes, I said albums, plural. Uh, Jordan's got big plans, but I don't know why I should describe it to you any further, because Jordan's here. He's here to tell us all about it. Take all our worries away. This show. this show will change your life. This show will change your life. What the hell is wrong with me? I don't know. Never know. What the hell is wrong with me? So we're about to dive into some of your demos that you sent me. Yeah. Um, but before we do that, I want to give folks uh, a broad idea of what your general plans for your music are uh, you've been saying for a while that you were working on three albums at one time which 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 might sound crazy <laughs> but but i actually understand that that sometimes you end up with so many songs that you've written that the only way to think of finishing them is to sort of break them into categories or put them in piles yes and then tackle them as 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 albums in that way um and i do want to talk about all three of the albums that you planned but we haven't really talked much about the album uh looking for parking which is the one that's already out yeah it, if, if if it's part of this trilogy of albums what does it capture about your your style it basically captured i think what i thought was the most band worthy songs from early 2000s like boy my age and the other ones on it those are the first ones that when the first time I had a show where I had my friend Daniel play drums and my friend Dave, who does the podcast with me, he played bass and I had, to, it actually was really, I mean, it was fun as hell. I had to pick like, you know, like 12 or so songs to debut at our first show, possibly only show. I mean, it was just a, what happened was I got, <laughs> I got booked at a venue and without realizing it, the venue was like, oh, you're a band, right? Because we don't book solo guys. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm a band. <laughs> and I had like a month or so to get my friends to back me up on like a handful, like a dozen songs. So it was kind of like out of, you know, out of the circumstances that it happened. And I think I just pulled from, I looked at all my set lists that I had and I said, you know, these dozen or so songs I could one, I think they're easy enough for my two friends to learn as quick as possible, you know? And part of it was like, these are songs that I feel like I can sing really well and that I will be able to sing on top of, on top of like drums behind me. You know what I mean?
and it was really, really went well. And then we played a few more shows, and then I got a different. I got like a drummer that was like just from Craigslist. It was like a real drummer, and then I got another real drummer. This that is who the guy is on the album. His name is Chris. He is like so. He like works now as like a session drummer. I think he is so insanely good. He made the songs sound like they make sense musically. <laughs> like all the stops and starts I do, all the little tangents, and he's like right on top of me. It had such a catchy beat. And then after doing shows for a few years, we basically had assembled about 23 or 24 songs. So the first album is made from like, you know, actually nine of them because the other three tracks I made at home. And then the second album is made from the same drum session where we just basically did all the rest of them. So the second album will be kind of a bit more meaty. It'll be like a meaty, fat kind of full band album with like 14 or 15 like full band songs, you know. And then there's another one that you've uh, mentioned to me that's that's called Party Guy. So the Party Guy, Party Guy is, I consider it my third album, but it's actually almost done. I mean, it's almost complete. So it seems a little weird to not put it out. But I always saw, and I feel like you'll relate to this, I always saw the group of songs with my my old band Troubles Afoot as like, they go together. Like I see one and then the other, like album one and album two. And I really can't help but see it that way. I, I've tried. I Like for a while I said, oh, Party Guy will be my first album or second album, you know, because the songs were almost done because I made them all at home. And it's, and but I, it just felt wrong. Like at the end, of, I started to kind of freak out about like, this was never supposed to be my first album, like never. So I basically backtracked and resurrected all these old recordings of my band and stuff I did in the studio for for looking for parking, um, which is a title that came way later. So, well, the next one I sent you is Woke Up Dark. That's going to be track two on the second album. So that's the context that we could talk about that. What are the origins of Woke Up Dark? The very first uh, kernel of it I sent you is this little instrumental that it's like a 20 second instrumental that I called Woke Up Dark. Just the title, you know, so I guess, okay, I'll backtrack a little. I would just make instrumentals, like little 20, 30 second instrumentals every single day for like a few years. So I have like a thousand of them or so, you know, um, they're just these little instrumentals and some are better than others. Some are my favorite things I've like ever done, you know, some turned into songs and some, uh, are just whatever, but, um, no, it's like a little sonic sketchbook thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like doodles. You know, it just stood out to me among all the other hundreds of them. Like, I just said, like, there's something here. And then one night I made, I wish I remembered more about it, but I I made this demo at like 3 or 4 a.m. one night and I made it extremely fast like that that was done so fast that i can't believe it because here's the thing and that's why i sent you the demo it's like my favorite thing i've ever made almost i mean it's it's up there you know what i mean i love how it sounds i don't know how i did it i don't know how my voice sounds that way on it i don't know how the guitar sounds so beautiful i don't know 
how I thought of it. I love the baseline. I love I, I like everything about it. I just love, and it's all like the first take of everything. It was just done so quick. And this goes to what we were saying about what's the finished version, because for years, this was, I was very happy with this being the finished version, you know? Like for years, I was like, this is one of my best recordings. So why do I need to, why do I need to do anything else with it? When I woke up, it was dark out. Couldn't stand the taste in my mouth. Put my shoes on, walked outside. I got in the car and started to drive. Now But then what happened was I got a band together, Troubles Afoot, and we started playing it live. And then what happened through practices and playing it live is that the drummer came up with amazing stuff. And then the bass player also, my friend Dave from the show, he came up with amazing stuff. And not just that, he came up with backing vocals, you know? And so suddenly it's almost like it's a different song. I mean, it's the same song, literally. Like it's the same structure, the same lyrics, the same chords. But they're the band arrangement version, I'd almost put both, I'd almost be tempted to put both versions on an album and name one, you know, like rock version, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, so it's like Woke Up Dark to me is, is one of my best songs. Um, it's like one of my personal favorites. And the, the, the demo I love 100%, and then the band version I love 100% for totally different reasons. Dark out objects in my room seem to float around trying to pass them get to the door but everything was in the way so I fell on time is a whole other thing. I don't know if maybe you can tell me if you had any uh, reactions to the song or anything and I could respond. <laughs> you know, when I listen to a song, I don't usually create a specific narrative necessarily in my head that explains the whole thing. I kind of more go off impressions created by individual lyrics. But but one of the impressions I have based on this song is just of um, almost like a, a scene in a movie where a person is in a nightmare and they they think they're waking up, but they're actually still in the nightmare. And so these kind of repeated references to waking up, but this strange thing still seem to be happening. Um, you know, it, it puts me in the mind of that, of like a nightmare you can't wake up from. <laughs> so I'm like so debating in my head of how much, how much to like, I guess to use a dramatic word, how much to like reveal. Um, Cause to me it's super specific. Um, but on the other hand, like when else do I really get to talk about this stuff? Uh, so one thing I would say, so it is about three nightmares, right? So that the idea is that it's like supposed to, it's supposed to give you a uh, one night of three nightmares. Like, let's say, you know, those nights where you're having a bunch of like fever dreams and it's just like the worst, <laughs> it's just like a horrible night where you just toss and turn and you keep having these nightmares and wake up. So the song is trying to capture that like long night, right? So that's, that's like step one. Um, Step two, so I'm really into like dream interpretation. Uh, that's just like a thing that I'm really, you know, think is really interesting. Um, Cause it's, it's like, so it I don't know, like ties a lot to like movies and arts and TV shows and paintings and symbolism, but it's like all in our heads, you know, it's kind of like where all that stuff comes from. I don't know. I find it very interesting. What are you telling you about yourself that maybe you're not thinking of in that way in your waking life? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So it's about the, your, your subconscious trying to tell you something. And I wrote all these songs when I was living at home well into my 20s, you know, like I was like 25, 26, or maybe 24. And I was like, you know, I was starting to feel a, a lot of shame about living with my parents still. I was done with college. You know what I mean? So what I would say about Woke Up Dark is that there's a pattern in the lyrics that you can catch where 
I kind of keep trying to get farther out from where I am. And each verse is more and more uh, like a shorter distance. <laughs> so <laughs> this is something I don't know if anyone ever catches in the song. So in the first verse, I managed to get into my car and drive, you know, kind of drive down the highway. And, but then I get, I drive into a lake and drown, you know, and then I wake up and it's a nightmare and I don't know what it was about. And the second verse, I managed to get out my window and onto my roof, you know, which was right outside my window. But there was a kind of like, you know, that like secondary roof on a house. Um, right. So in the second verse, I managed to get out the window, but then there's like some sort of a monster. Uh, this is like, this might be my favorite verse. Cause it's just so like, to me, it's just so nightmare imagery. There's like some sort of a wet, you know, gross, damp, furry monster that attacks me and it wakes me up, you know? Um, and then in the third verse, I, I'm only unable to get out of my bed and onto my floor. And then everything, all the objects in my room, my stereo, my guitar, my big heavy blanket, they're kind of weighing me down. And I tried to reach out to like grab my doorknob and I woke up, you know? So it's like, to me, that's like what's special about the song is this pattern of I keep trying to get get away from my bed and get away from my house and it just it keeps getting harder and harder and like that's the song. So yeah, that's something I've never like told anyone about the song before, but it's what I'm really proud. And by the way, I want to I want to really emphasize this. I did not write that intentionally. I noticed this after I like recorded the demo. Like I noticed after listening back, which is a weird moment. It's like a weird thing to experience. I find that sometimes too, you know, when you put something down for a while and come back to it, especially if it was written and recorded in a flurry of activity, um, you kind of you kind of come back to it and have a, an outsider's view of your thought process and whatever you were going through. Yeah, and that's also how dreams work, because dreams are like telling you something that you you kind of know already, but you're you haven't really thought about consciously yet. I mean, sometimes, and so that's 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 what's crazy about the song is that it's. It's about nightmares, and it literally is. It, it worked in the same way that a nightmare works, which is that it, it happened without me, kind of without me controlling it totally, and then me realizing what it's about later. And I've had one of those nights for sure where I wake up and I go maybe drink some water and I lay back down and I wake up and I go use the bathroom and then I keep going back into maybe not the same dream but a similar dream. Oh my and God. it's like I'm kind of trying to still solve the same mystery, but there's some part of me that feels like I'm becoming aware that it's a dream, but I'm still trapped in it. So yeah, yeah, that's what this was trying to evoke is when you have like these reoccurring dream, like nightmares all night that kind of connect to each other, but there's they're kind of like chapter breaks in between, you know, and that's the whole point of saying when I woke up, it was dark out because I'm trying to express that this is a middle of the night kind of story, you know? Jordan Cooper's Midnight Confessions. <laughs> so the next song you sent me is one called Never Ever. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm almost not sure why I picked it. I think it's like a personal favorite that people never really mention. <laughs> um, but I'll give the context of the finished version of it, which is from this EP that I made in December 2016. And it's, um, and it's a kind of a weird recording because it's, it's pieced together from a demo that I made in 2008. So that's eight years <laughs> between the first demo and then... I took almost every single track from that first demo and just kind of turned it into a newer recording. Like all I did was change the percussion really, but I used the same vocals, I used the same guitars, because I always thought it had a really, despite it being a 2008 demo, I don't know, it had like a full sound. Things move so slow. So 
Never Ever, yeah, that was just, that's a good example of a character song that's totally like a fantasy. You know, like I, but it's probably, it might stem from real feelings I had at the time. I don't even know. Like something I like about lyrics are when they're very um, few of them, but they tell a whole big, like they imply a huge story or like a whole life of someone through just like as few lyrics as possible. And you probably noticed with a lot of my earlier songs is that I write a lot of lyrics, like they're, they blab and blab and blab. So for Never Ever, I was trying to do the total opposite thing, which is like very, very short lines, very few lyrics. The chorus is only the words never, ever. So there's nothing that's no one's telling you anything really in the chorus. It's just it's expressing a feeling, you know, or some sort of a state of mind. But it's like as li literally as like little words as I could possibly get together to tell you this this story about this person in the song. It's a mix of fake drums and real drums because I, I own a snare drum and I own a cymbal. So what you hear in the song, you hear it's fake, uh, it's MIDI kick drum. And then it's like real snare drum and real. And then one part of the song has MIDI hi-hat. And then the next part of the song has real cymbal, like real high. It's not a hi-hat, but it's like a crash cymbal. And it's constantly going like back and forth between MIDI drums and real drums, which I feel like could almost be a thematic thing to do with the lyrics, which I never thought about until now. But like, I really enjoy that aspect of the song. It's like a very warm recording. There's no, you might notice like the bass in the song. It's just my acoustic guitar. It's like the E string on my acoustic guitar doing like melodies, you know? kind of like a midlife crisis song. And I obviously, I wrote this when I was like 25 or whatever. So I was not having one. Maybe in some ways I was having some sort of a existential like crisis about myself, but it was really meant to be a completely fictional character song about, a, about like a wealthy upper class man who's like, uh, who's like spraying his lawn with like a hose or whatever in front of like his, not a mansion, but like a very nice, you know, like this house is in like Edward Scissorhands. That's kind of, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of like, that's kind of like what I picture in the song. So it's kind of like a suburbs kind of upper class man who's, you know, spraying his lawn and he's, and right at that moment, he has an existential crisis. So that's what the song is about. And I've also never told anyone that before either. The idea wasn't that I felt old when I wrote it, but when I perform it now, it just like, uh, it's like, uh, that's why it's one of my favorites. That's why I sent it to you. Cause it's just, it, it, for me, it's, it's such a simple song. It's like three chords or whatever, you know, but it's just like, it really like hits home for me now, even though it's not about me. It wasn't about you when you wrote it, but you're right. Maybe you've grown into the, the yeah, kind yeah. of, there's a kind of a middle-aged sentiment maybe that you have to kind of grow into. And some, sometimes your younger idea of what those feelings are going to be like is very much off the mark, but sometimes you, you might tap into something that actually is a little time capsule for yourself. I definitely did. When I, I wrote a bunch, like I said, before I ever had a girlfriend, I wrote tons of breakup songs and they all, they all hit me really hard later, like when actual breakups happened. I mean, I, I don't know if the whole, you know, writing from experience thing is, 
the most important thing in the world. I think you just have to have some sort of an empathy or like an imagination and things will just kind of happen that not all the time, but you know, you might as well try to like write something that's, you know, that it might not be something you've experienced, but you might find that you, you know, manage to, to get, get there somehow, you know, I don't know. Well, let's uh, let's talk about folk. I can hear myself think, and it sounds pretty dumb. This song, I can tell you the inspiration because it's kind of like a meta thing, which is that I was at uh, someone's concert. I was at like a very folky concert with this guy with his acoustic guitar playing folky songs. And it was in Brooklyn and it was it was storming outside. But the other aspect of the song, which, which is very literal in the lyrics, is that I had an insane um, migraine. Half my head is in pain. The other is thinking about it. People must be extra clumsy today because everyone's bumping into me. And half my heart is in pain. And it's making me silent. So. I had this very mysterious migraine that was making my eyes really hurt and my ears really hurt. And, and it was it was really, um, it was almost like terrifying. Like I didn't know what was happening to me. And I still don't know what was happening to me. Um, but I was at this guy's show and I was trying to socialize after and say hi to him and say hi to the friends. And I felt, you know, needless to say, like I felt very like, how do I get in on this circle of people chatting with each other? And I just couldn't do it. And you blend that with how intensely it was really pouring out and it was, and I had a, this massive migraine and I, I walked home, you know, I walked, I think I walked to my car and drove home and, and I literally got home and I wrote the song insanely fast and recorded it insanely fast. And I called it folk as like a pun, you know, it's about other being around other people, not knowing what to do. And it's, it's kind of a joke cause it's like a folk song. <laughs> and I also used uh, Dan Miller. They might be giants guitarist. He taught me how to finger pick. So that was the first, you know, it's always good to like take a thing that you just learned and immediately put it to use. Um, mm-hmm. And my problem is I, I put it to use and then I don't really improve on it. Like I'm like, okay, I, I found a use for it and now I don't need to practice finger picking anymore. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of what I did with this song. So that's why like, even when I play the song live, I'd, I'd put my pick away and I'd be like, uh-oh, am I going to, am I going to get this right? I want to make sure that we talk about the sound effects that you used on this one, which is that you use a, a rainstorm and uh, it does tie into the lyrics, but um, I, I was surprised to hear the rainstorm was also on a practice recording that you sent me. Me and my friend Daniel uh, were, he was on drums, I was on guitar, and we just, we we thought it'd be fun to to practice a bunch of my songs to maybe do like a future show. And it wasn't, it was extremely fun. And one thing that happened was we started to play this song and there was this huge crash of thunder outside and it started raining. And this is a song about a thunderstorm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Ready? I can hear myself. It sounds pretty dumb. And we play the song and you hear the rain sound in the background the whole time. So you kind of you could be like, oh, I don't wanna I don't wanna overemphasize the rain and the lyrics. That could be that could be too on the nose, but but at the other thing you wanna do is like listen to what like the listen to what the art gods are telling you. And I was like, well, to me now I always associate this song with, with having rain in the background, because that for a while that was like my favorite MP3 of the song. And it might still be. <laughs> Honestly, it might still be, because I just really like I like how how pure and genuine it is. As proud as I am of my wacky, funny, crazy, you know, fast songs, I, I think you'd probably notice like all my favorites are are the low-key, understated, moody ones. Cause it just feels a little more like 
how did I do that kind of thing. Like I don't even know where it, where it comes from. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of it's kind of nice to tap into something that feels like a little more genuinely genuinely emotional. And it's it's like whenever I can do something like that, I tend to be I tend to really like be really proud of it. I think that um, uh, sound effects are cool, and I like using them, and I, and I have to be yeah. careful not to overuse them, because sometimes I'm sure. getting to the end of a song, and what I really want to end this song is a buzzer, or yes. a, a duck quacking, or some shit like that, and I Hell think, yeah. okay, you can't you can't do that without somebody thinking that you're Goofy, or you're Spike Jones or something, and you can't do it every time, and even I know I didn't, I wouldn't want to do it every time, but sometimes the sound I'm looking for is so mm-hmm. not a musical sound, or at least I don't think of it as a musical sound. You might be able to create it on guitar with a lot of effects or something, but I'm thinking sure, like, I want to yeah, hear, yeah. bu- hear the buzz of like a refrigerator or whatever. Yes. Um, uh, and so that I think is an interesting thing. And so when you do decide to dive in, it's fun. And I would say also, I think rain must be the one that people use the most because oh, yeah. I think it almost will always work on you that you could just about put a rainstorm behind any song and it <laughs> yeah. wouldn't hurt the song because people, there's something that happens, you know, maybe it goes back to some primal state that the, you know, you hear the rain and it does something to you. Oh yeah. I can hear myself think And it sounds pretty dumb People are mouthing off at me And I'm feeling young Well, I storm outside Into the storm outside It's warm outside when this is on my album Party Guy, which as a whole, this album is, is pretty cinematic and there's a lot of songs that use sounds. I kind of see it as the album being cohesive. I took a lot of things from like my environment for this album. So I, I kind of, once I did it once or twice, I was like, you know, this, this could just be a thing about the album. So it all kind of fits together. So You're Everyone is a song I've had for a really, really long time. Like I sent you those old demos and I've always, I've always kind of, so it's like I have one friend who loves the song and I have one friend who, who doesn't like it. You know what I mean? And I'm like, it's one of those kinds of songs. It's like a love it or hate it kind of song. I was always supposed to be like a track one on an album and then when I started putting together the album for Party Guy which is all songs about hating parties and being antisocial I was like oh my god your everyone has to be track one because it's just like it's to me it's just the perfect 
uh, just perfectly states everything that the album is about. And what you're hearing, that's my recording of a bar that I was in. Uh, I was like, the Party Guy album has to start with a party. Like, we've got, we have to do it. So it's like the idea is that it's your inner monologue when you're at like a bar with a bunch of people. All the people outside are walking. All the people inside are talking. Everyone is worthy of stuff. Good for so my friend Daniel plays drums on it. He emailed me those drums. I did go back and forth. Oh, should the people drop out? Should they? And I, honestly, because I, what I sent you is not a final mix, I don't even quite remember <laughs> what happens. But I, I basically had different tracks of, of bar people. And what happens is some of them get muted and sometimes they get unmuted. But there's always something. There's always some track of people there very low under everything. It's just that sometimes they they pop up more. And you know, the, like, for example, the, the middle part where I sing You're Everyone and there's piano, it's like MIDI piano. But then my girlfriend had a comic convention and I was waiting in this lounge area and they had a piano there. So I just took out my phone and recorded me doing that real piano. And then I edited it so that the timing would make sense. You know, like I time stretched it <laughs> so that it like matched what I did. So you're hearing like real piano, but under it, you're hearing kind of like a muffled fake piano with even more people talking in the background because I was just in a I was in a lounge with people in it. And the song kind of like sputters and dies, which is like my favorite thing about it. Like it just kind of, you're just at this party and you're, I mean, part of what it's about, I mean, it's hard to explain, I guess, but it's about meeting someone at a party and being disappointed in them <laughs> for being boring. So it's it's sort of like an asshole song. Like the concept of the song is that it's from the point of view of of me, who is a jerk, who is antisocial, <laughs> which is what the whole album's I mean the whole album is about this. You're saying that that your use of the the phrase party guy in association with yourself is is slightly ironic? Yeah. Huh. And then, of course, at the end of the song, when we hear the vacuum cleaner, and it's sort of the end of the party. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Oh, that's I didn't even think of it that way. <laughs> I really thought it was like the next morning. It's like, okay, the fun's over. Oh, that works. But it also is a sound that kind of dies out. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so great when you can have a sound that just organically and naturally dies out to nothing in an interesting way. The idea with the vacuum cleaner, so it's what you said is so funny because it totally, it totally works, but that wasn't even what I was intending. What I was intending was a more of a surreal joke imagery, which is that my inner monologue, I'm having a fantasy about vacuuming away all the people, like I'm sucking them all up into my vacuum so that I could be, have some peace and quiet. You know what I mean? So what you're hearing at the end of the song is you hear the vacuum start to go and you you hear it go from side to side in your stereo field and you hear it suck up the voices of the people. Like I, I one by one mute the different tracks of people talking until there's no one left. And then you hear the vacuum kind of have this death rattle, which by the way, like I didn't plan when I recorded it. Like I didn't know that was going to happen at the end. <laughs> so, you know, that just happened. And it's like, that's why this is one of my favorite things I've ever made because there's just so much to it. There's like so many things going on there. 
Uh, so I, I love the death rattle because it's almost like, oh, well, now I'm alone and I'm I'm antisocial and I've I got rid of all the people. But like now, what? well, that's right up my alley because it's like misanthropic. And yet it also kind of shows the price of being misanthropic. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and I think a lot of times when people are writing songs, they're tempted to to maybe if they talk about those things, they're tempted to to resolve them. Um, and, and I like the way that you just kind of leave this character simmering yeah. in this, in this feeling kind of in the, the exquisite torture of being themselves. <laughs> you know, to me, it's just so much more interesting to acknowledge these times in our life that are just to me more relatable than just feel good, <laughs> feel good stuff. Um, I would even go so far as to say that the music that acknowledges this, this negative stuff is is my feel-good music, you know? Like, um, I find much more catharsis in facing this sort of stuff head-on. I just, like, why can't we just luxuriate in the bad mood and just feel it, and then then we could move on? It's almost like what meditation practice is, <laughs> as far as I've seen, which is it's like you acknowledge the feeling and then you move on. And so that mm -hmm. that's, that's, to me, is what a song is. This is a song that means a huge amount to me because I wrote it when I came out of a very bad, a very dark period. <laughs> How does it feel when you're in REM? How does it feel when you're Well, I would be completely remiss in my duties as host of this show if I did not talk to you about the fact that uh, you've made one of my favorite novelty songs ever. And um, I want you to know that's a compliment coming from me. I strive to, to make a classic novelty song. Um, but... This is a song that you sent into a podcast that I listened to, and honestly, it was hearing that song that was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back when it came to me reaching out to you online. The podcast was um, Are You Talking R.E.M. R.E. Me, uh, which is a show hosted by Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott, and they uh, they talk about the music of R.E.M., and, and while they are serious fans of the band and they, they do love their music, they uh, also... Are seemingly are making the show to sort of aggravate serious fans because <laughs> uh, they spend more than half the runtime bullshitting and getting facts wrong on purpose and delaying discussion of the music, which they yeah. do eventually get to. Uh, I love it. I happen to love their chemistry. It's a, probably sure. a love it or hate it proposition for folks. But they happen to at one point, just in a passing moment, they joked about R.E.M. making a song about what it's like to be an R.E.M. Mm -hmm. How did he feel? Did not touch him. Did not touch him. <laughs> Didn't touch him. <laughs> did you? Do you like that song? How do you feel? Uh, I like it. Yeah. How do you feel? <laughs> was that their biggest does? <laughs> yeah, REM. How does it feel? How does it feel when you're in REM? <laughs> <laughs> what if they? And then you hear Peter Buck go, <laughs> "Really good. <laughs> I love I'm it. Fucking stoked." <laughs> what if they? And just seriously. Yeah, sure. Got back together. Right. Put that out as a single. Right. <laughs> How does it feel <laughs> to, to be an R.E.M.? It feels good. <laughs> All right. And everyone's like, what the Wait, fuck? What? And that's this the is whole song. That's the it. The song is seven it's seconds Seven long. seconds long. And they're like, we got back together. We're here. And, and, and then a few episodes later, a fan sent in... A fan. Uh, Jordan Cooper, that is. But I didn't really know. The, oh, sure. Yeah. Didn't yeah. know this at the time sent in a song that they had made using samples of the voices of Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott uh, to create this really catchy song yeah. that is, uh, uh, you know, kind of mean about the music of R.E.M., but also clearly has a lot of uh, love for the yes, music of yes, R.E.M. Yes, And Good point. when I heard the song, I just, I just heard so much joy in it. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, clearly they loved it on the show. I mean, that is something you really can't take away. They, they loved it so much, they played it for people. I can't mm -hmm. imagine what that must have felt like. A uh, few episodes back, episode six-ish, I believe, we uh, debuted our version of the song called How Does It Feel Oh yeah, When You're in R.E.M. Episode five. Five-ish, Oh, Finkel. no, six. You're six. right. You're right. <laughs> and uh, someone set it to music, Yeah. and I don't quite know who it is, but let's play it here. Let's see uh, how it sounds. This is uh, the debut on this show, at least, of How Does It Feel, parentheses, when you're in REM, second parentheses, good, end second parentheses, end first parentheses. Here we go. This is a song that means a huge amount to me because I wrote it when I came out of a very bad, a very dark period. 
How does it feel when you're in REM? How does it feel when you're in are dying laughing at that. That is really funny. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> that thank, is I wish is I knew who who made it. The thing that took the longest, maybe like took 20 minutes, was getting, you know, finding that part of the episode cuz they they did it a few times in the episode where they yelled feels good and stuff, and I what I wanted to do was layer the vocals. Um though it kind of just sounds like one vocal with a lot of reverb, but what, what it actually is is a bunch of vocals. So it's different takes of them doing it. And then honestly, it took me like maybe 30 minutes to just make, I improvised the guitar chords, you know, I didn't really write it out. Um, I kind of improvised the guitar chords. I improvised the bass line. Uh, then I kind of fixed it up a little. And then I, I imp- and then I thought of a couple other little bits. Uh, the drums, like here's an example. If I knew that they would play it that many times, I would have worked way harder on it. Like I would have really made it really good. <laughs> I would have made the mix better. I would have made the drums have, there's no hi-hat uh, because I just like made it so fast that I forgot that it doesn't have a hi-hat. So it's just like a kick and a snare, which is not really emblematic of REM's music. So I feel kind of bad about that. Any limitations like that just, just, kind of play into the joke uh for me though yeah <laughs> um like like this is the best possible fate for a, a goofy little uh dumb thing <laughs> that you can make in your home studio to amuse yourself yeah um, if it were if it were too good it wouldn't be as good well like one thing i would have done differently like is it's so long like i didn't mean to make it that long and it, the structure of it makes absolutely no sense like the timing of when the so it's because i made it so fast like i it was it's just it's literally like not planned out at all so i would have fixed that up um I would have done real mandolin at the end because I own a mandolin, but the mandolin that you hear is MIDI. <laughs> and I could see the argument that, that it kind of makes it funnier. Well, I think it's perfect. So it, so as they kept playing it week by week, it never lost its excitement. It kept being insane. Um, the only thing that changed was the different things they would say. Like, So sometimes they would say, we can't credit this person because we don't know who they are, which kind of drove which drove me a little crazy because I put my name on everything. Like I'm very, I said, my name is Jordan Cooper. My band is SoundCloud is Troubles Afoot. This is a song I made, blah, blah, blah. I always link, I like when I sent it into them, I linked to everything. I had my name. So I kept being like, they can't just pause the recording for five seconds and, and get my name rather than say, I'm sorry, we can't credit them. So that, so the first time they played it, actually, that kind of dampered it a little, to be honest, because I was a little bummed out that they didn't say who I was. Uh, then they, then they um, corrected that the next time, and then they literally said the words "troubles afoot" like four or five more times in the, throughout the show, which was like, "Oh my god, this is so surreal!" You know, um, there was one or two times. There was one time where Adam Scott said something wrong about me. Like he said, "Like, oh, we got sent something from the guy who did." How does it feel when you're in RM? And I'm like, I didn't send them anything. <laughs> like, so I, I don't know what's going on on their end, but it was kind of like a weird, there's been a couple of weird moments like that. Um, one thing I also love is like Adam Scott, like there, there are a com- couple comments he makes about how good the song is and how he's like, how did he make it? Like, is that real guitars <laughs> and stuff? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I just plugged my guitar in. But I, I love that Adam Scott seemed to genuinely love the music for it because as mm-hmm. someone, as you understand as being a songwriter, it's like, I, it's a joke song, but look, it's a cool chord progression. I, I always like when someone likes something I made. Uh, so, so that's really nice. Well, 
ultimately, do you think you have a preference between the kind of off-the-cuff recordings and uh, the ones that you uh, labor over more? Sometimes you're almost more proud of the demos than the, the album version, like, because <laughs> you do it all yourself, you know what I mean? Like, everything's by me, so it's, it kind of feels nice. <laughs> um, I think demos, that you can feel the process sometimes more, and maybe the feeling of writing the song is more immediate. Yeah, yeah, And so yeah. there is that weird kind of uh, tug of war between saying, this is a song, it's complete, and saying, oh, but won't people love it even more if it's got all these bells and whistles? Yeah, I, I think this a good last song of mine, then, to, to make a point of that, is my song on my I'm looking for parking called The Usual Way. I express myself in the usual way. I express myself in the usual way. I'm running out. So that's just me and an acoustic guitar, and what you're hearing is the original, you know, the original first time I ever performed the song. Like, that's the first night, that's the first time. And that's one where I really had the problem of, I don't know how to improve on this, because even though I actually developed the melody more later, like, there's certain things, like, that I sang differently later when I would play the song live that I prefer. In terms of the, the tone of it, I was like, this is really capturing me having this feeling that's that the lyrics are about and i so i was really so i i've been adamant for years that that one recording is going to be on my very first album no matter what i do and i i managed to do it <laughs> so that that's like a huge that that's one of my all-time favorite songs of mine it might be sometimes i say it's my number one favorite song that i've written and it's it's very simple but it, it really captured like a thing that was i was going through at that very moment and yeah just just having it on the album is this like, hopefully it doesn't come across as pretentious, but it, it honestly, there literally is no pretension. It's literally just, this is the one time I recorded it. This is the first time I'm singing it. And then that's, you know, here it is. Well, Jordan, I just want to say like, it's been a, a hell of a lot of fun walking yeah. through all this stuff with you. Thanks so much for coming on. And like, you know, I love, I know you were occasionally apologetic about uh, sending me demos and alternate versions and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. will admit there were a few times where I had to make sure I was, I was listening to the right version for our conversation, know, but it I'm just sorry. led me into something that I was, I was able to very much relate to. I don't know. I'm just saying I, I, I get it. And I know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know that the struggle is real and you're in the songwriting trenches and I, I just, I really, really respect yeah. what you're doing. And I, I had a, I had a blast uh, digging into it with you. It's nice to know that there are people like me who, who are also doing this and that we could kind of have each other's back, you know, is kind of something I've always looked for and rarely found. So the idea that you thought of me for this is like very, very nice, you know, it's like, it's like a good ego trip for me, which I'm always happy to go on those trips. I can't say anything too complex. I get stares. And that's all for now. In terms of Jordan though, it's not quite all for now because I know he is wrapping up two albums. Uh, album number two, the sort of rock album that he mentioned in this episode, but also another band that we didn't even get to and that I hope to do a future episode of this show all about, a band called Sally, and that is Jordan's collaboration with cartoonist, graphic artist, author, hyphenate, Kristen Goodsnuck. They have music up on Bandcamp at sallyband.bandcamp.com. But yes, they have an album coming. So yeah, just keep your eyes peeled. Don't forget, you can find Jordan's stuff on Bandcamp at Troubles Afoot bandcamp.com or on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash troubles dash afoot and you can find uh don't let's start a podcast about they might be giants on any podcast app that you like or uh, maybe even some apps you don't like i don't know live your life now for me just look to the sky um on dawn of the third day but you can also find me on twitter and instagram at gianni w that's g-i-a-n-n-i-d-u-b-y-a Lastly, regarding this podcast, just remember, subscribe to FYIZ wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode of this show or any other shows just like it. Now, I have got to go because I've squared away some time this afternoon to sit in a dark room and say, what now? I care about you.